particular way. We're in a series right now entitled The Heart of Worship. How many times have you ever said about your child or your children or about someone in your life where they really have my heart? They really have my heart. Well, when it comes to Christianity, a lot of people will have our hearts, but the one person who wants our heart more than anyone else is God himself. So we're in a series right now entitled The Heart of Worship because we believe God should be the centerpiece of everything we do in our lives. And so it's very important to understand that. So last week we began talking about the expectation of worship. We're in, we're in uh, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20 talking about the expectation of the battle belongs to the Lord. And if we're willing to give it to the Lord... The expectation is he will take care of that battle for us. So this morning, I want to talk about the experience of worship. So would you take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah chapter 6. The best definition I've ever heard of worship is in a little-known book by W.P. Gibbs. And the book is just simply called Worship. In that book, he says this. Worship... The experience of worship is the occupation of the heart, not with its needs, not with its wants, but with God himself. You see, when you occupy something, you fill a space. When you occupy something, you fill a time with that. And so God is not saying 24 hours I have to be on your mind, but he is saying throughout the day there should be times when I am on your mind. When you make a decision, when you're dealing with certain issues, you should seek me because I love you and I will give you exactly what you need. And so this morning as we talk about the experience of worship, understand the word experience means encounter. So I'm going to ask you a personal question. You don't raise your hand. You don't have to go. Any, let me know anyway. But how have you encountered God in worship today? Because when we come, is it simply a church service? Is it simply getting along with our, uh, meeting our friends and having a great time? And we should do that. But is it more than that? During our worship time, did we truly have an encounter with God? Did we engage with him? Did we engage in such a way that we were, we were worshiping and we were praising and praying at the same time? God, you know my needs. God, you know my desires. God, I'm looking to you because you are God and there's none beside you. So what about the experience of worship? Look with me, Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible begins this way, verse chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, why is that such a significant statement? Because it is the prerequisite to worship. Not someone dying, but the prerequisite for Isaiah going into the temple and having this experience with God. Because you see, the reason it's significant is because his death had such an effect on the nation of Israel. You see, Uzziah reigned for 52 years. Can you imagine that? Over three generations, he was sitting on the throne of Israel. And those people, to him, he was like a patriarch of the family. Because under his leadership, the economy boomed. 
Under his leadership, a great defense, mis, uh, de a great defense army was built because of 300,000 people in the army. That was huge in that day. Under his leadership, so many things happened that were good for the, for the nation of Israel. So when they heard that King Uzziah died, there was a lack of feeling safe. There was a lack of feeling stability because the one who was the face of everything we saw is gone. And Isaiah felt the same way. So it's the prerequisite of worship because what did it do? It brought them to the place of dependency on God. Can I tell you something this morning? One of the primary reasons God allows tragedy in our lives is to bring us to him. You know that? Do you know that dependency paves the road to worship? Because when you are dependent on God, when you have nowhere else to turn, no one else to turn to except God, he's going, I've been waiting on you. If that's what it took to bring you to me, I'm sorry it was painful. I'm sorry it was hurtful. I'm sorry about all that, but I'm not sorry that it brought you to me. Because a prerequisite to worship is dependency on God. What if you're struggling with this morning? Whatever your battles are, it may be marriage, it may be finances, it may be career, it may be school, it may be some kind of addiction, it may be other things going on in your life, some struggles internally with you, with your thinking. Whatever's going on with you today, I want you to know, God says, that is a road being paved to me if you will just come to me and stop that struggling. Because I want you here in a place of peace, in a place of safety, in a place where you are sure that I can take care of whatever's going on in your life. You know, I think it's really interesting because so many songs there are written about struggles and about God. We used to sing a song years ago in church, and it, the words were something like this. When you find he's all you have, you will find he's all you need. And that's so true. When you find he's all you have, you will find he is all you need. The second thing I want you to notice with me, not only prerequisite to worship, but the person of worship. Look again at verse 1. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim, and each one had six wings. And with two he did, he did cover his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The person of worship. The person of worship was God himself, not Isaiah, not the seraphim. The person of worship was God himself. And when Isaiah walked into the temple, don't you know he was familiar with the surroundings of the temple, all the furniture, all the ornate things in the temple? He understood all that. That was all familiar to him. But in, in a brief moment, he was, he was translated from the earthly temple to the heavenly temple. And in the heavenly temple, he saw God sitting on his throne, and he was high and lifted up. His front throne was higher than any king could ever have. And he was there in the temple. And when he saw God, he saw what was happening there. I think it's so interesting to me that they had come to that place of, of seeing God and, and seeing God. And, and what, you, what you have to understand is the nation of Israel had lost 
their vision for God. You see, the Bible says, and, and many theologians agree with this, that when Isaiah looked and saw God in that temple, high and lifted up, there was a council around him. And in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 19 through 22, it talks about the council that God commands to come to him to pronounce judgment on the land. He saw God. He saw God in that place of authority and that place of holiness. He saw him there. But Israel had forgotten that. Israel was so caught up in their blessings, they forgot the blesser. They were so caught up in, in what was going on in their lives and, and their positions that they lost the posture of worship. They no longer bowed before the Lord. They no longer thought about him. And God said, you know what? I'm going to send a messenger. I'm, my messenger is going to pronounce judgment on the land because you have forgotten me. Wow. Don't we need to be careful in this nation today? Don't we need to be careful as the church today that we have forgotten the blesser and we're, we're wallowing in the blessings? Third thing, the participants of worship. The Bible says, Isaiah said, I saw the seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Who were the participants of worship? The participants that Isaiah saw, he didn't see himself in that moment. He saw the seraphim. And the word seraphim in the Hebrew means the, the burning ones. Like they were on fire. And they were circling the throne of God. And they were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy. The word holy means otherness. It means God's not like anyone else. And can I tell you something? God is different from us. But don't miss this. He's not distant from us. God is different from us, but he's not distant from us. And that's why he sent his son to say, I want to abide with you. I want to live with you. I want to be here with you. I'm going to do life with you. Why? So the seraphim teaches three things about worship. Three things that are important to worship. Number one, worship is an attitude first, not an action. It's an attitude first, not an action, because they had six wings. Can you imagine a, a being with six wings? And with two wings, he covered his face, and, and that stands for reverence. That was profound, and it was specific that they were in the presence of God, and they could not look on God. He was too holy. The second thing I notice is this, humility. Because with two wings, they covered themselves. They hid themselves, the lower parts of their bodies. With two wings, they did that. They hid themselves. In worship, what are we doing? We're hiding ourselves and we're going into the presence of God. We're not thinking about self. We're only thinking about him and who he is and how high lifted up he is, how holy he is. The third thing we notice is there was a readiness to serve. 
because they were ready to do whatever God wanted them to do because they were flying. They were always in motion. They were flying. So there's an attitude there, an attitude of reverence, an attitude of humility, an attitude of being ready to serve whatever you want me to do. And the second thing I notice is this. What I notice is there was an awareness of the presence of God. An awareness of the presence. There's a difference. There's a difference in singing the songs. There's a difference in being in church. There's a difference in all that. If you're not experiencing the presence of God, it's more than an emotion. Part of it, but it's more than an emotion. It is you're feeling him. You know he's there with you. There's an awareness of that. But unfortunately, King Uzziah had also forgotten that. You know how I know that? I know that because there was a time in his life when Uzziah was a great king. There was a time in his life when he served the Lord. There was a time in his life that the, that the nation was blessed because he, he sought the Lord. But do you know what happened to him? The man who was led by God who led this sort of greatness, forgot the God, forgot the Lord. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 26, near the end of his life, he is so filled with pride, he is so filled with who he is, his position, his power, he goes into the temple, he walks into the place where the high priest is supposed to be serving, he takes the incense, he's going to burn the incense, which is only, only for the high priest to do. And in the moment of him trying to do that, the high priest walks in. He calls 70 more priests in there with him. They surround Uzziah. And the high priest says, it is not for you to do that. God has not ordained you to do that. He's not called you to do that. And because you've done that, I'll, you will be stricken with leprosy. In that very moment, the skin began to boil. And it wasn't too long until the flesh became to fall, began to fall off of him. And he lived his life alone, alone in a house by himself because he forgot the Lord. Wow. Here's the fourth thing I notice about experience in worship. That is, I see the procurement of purpose. The procurement of purpose. Look at verse 5, if you would. Verse 5. So I said, this is, this is Isaiah. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What's he talking about, unclean lips? Not, not just what we've called a cursing. He was talking about people talking negative, people talking uh, boastfully, people talking all these things, and nobody was acknowledging the Lord. And Isaiah said, I was one of them. So here I am now in the very presence of, of God, and here I am now knowing what I have done with my lips, what I've done. But God called Isaiah to do something. Let me ask you a question. Why was it that he would forgive the sin of Isaiah, but not the sin of the nation? Because Isaiah was the only one sought him. The only one. And so three things I want you to notice about Isaiah. Number one, purpose begins with a perspective. It begins with a perspective. 
Because in verse 5, here's what Isaiah said. For my eyes have seen the king. Lord of hosts. The word host is the word sabaoth in the Hebrew. It's the word for army. I have seen the king. I've seen God sitting on his throne. And I see multitudes of soldiers. He has an army that's innumerable. I've seen him. I have a perspective on him. I now know who he truly is. Perspective is the very beginning of finding purpose. There's a second thing that contributes to finding purpose, and that is preparation. Because in verse 5 again, here's what Isaiah says. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What was he saying? He was saying, I need to be prepared for this. I need to be prepared for this. And the only way I can be prepared to serve the Lord and do the things that God wants me to find my purpose with him is to make make sure, first of all, that my heart is clean. That my heart is clean. So important to understand that. And so Isaiah was prepared, first of all, with preparation. Three things I noticed. Number one, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. That was his reality. He, he became, it became such a reality of him what his sin really was. He wasn't murdering people. He wasn't robbing people. He wasn't doing the things they would call bad. He said, I was sinning with my lips, just like everyone else doing that. So his reality was, I have sinned. Have you ever come to a place where your reality I have. I have recently. I've thought about it, and I've said, Lord, don't, if you want to pray this prayer, I want to tell you, it can be a dangerous prayer for you. God, show me my sin. God, show me my sin. Show me my heart. Because, Lord, I want to see. I want to see, and if you ask him to show you, he will. And Isaiah saw it. The second thing was his realization. The reality was, I have sinned just like everyone else. His realization was, I have now seen the king, and I know who he is. He's God. And then his, re- his response was, he heard God say, who will I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Now, you have to understand something. Isaiah didn't know what the mission was. He didn't care what the mission was. He had seen the mighty God of Israel, the Lord of hosts, the Lord God Almighty. And he says, if God has called me and he has said, who will I go? And I'll volunteer. He is bigger than any problem I will ever face. Any problem I will ever face. He's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than my problems. And the last thing I notice is there is a plan. Notice what the scripture says in verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Think about that. He said, Isaiah, I want you to go out and preach this message. 
But you understand something. No one's going to listen to you. No one's going to see what you're saying. No one's going to understand it. They're going to get harder and harder and harder and harder. You know, Tom, why in the world would God do that? Because I, you need to understand this. We need to understand this. All of us do. God's mind about the judgment of the people of Israel for forgetting him had not changed. Had not changed. And I want to tell you, he's a gracious God. He's a loving God. He's a precious God. But he will only allow his people to go so far. So far. And that's not to scare you, and that's not to judge you. That's to say we need to understand who it is that we serve. We serve the living God. The living God. And Isaiah goes out. And Isaiah carries out the plan. But at some particular point, Isaiah said in verse 11, Lord, how long do I have to do this? I mean, no one's listening. No one's saying you're right, but how long do I have to do this? And God said, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, and the houses are without a man, and the land is utterly, utterly desolate. And the Lord has removed, uh, has removed men from afar and forsaken the places are, are many in the midst in the land. But a tenth will be in it and will return and be for a consuming. As a terrible tree has an oak whose stump remains and is cut down, there will be something, a seed coming out of the stump. I shared this with you probably last year sometime. We moved into our house. We had like four pine trees, big pine trees. They were right next to the pool. And so, and I thought, man, you know, it was great. You know, the pool was clear. We moved in, all that kind of stuff. You know what happened? Pine cones, pine straw. I mean, I could not keep that pool clean. And one day, a guy from the city shows up. And he says, look, Mr. Phillips, the, the power lines run right right through those trees. You might as well cut those limbs down around the, uh, around the line. I went, you can cut the whole thing down if you want to. He said, really? They cut all four pine trees down. They put the fence back. They carried all of that off. Did not cost me a penny. But you know what I noticed? Those doggone stumps didn't go away. And what I did notice was little sprigs began, began to come up out of those stumps. And I go, oh, no, not having more pine trees here, right? But that's what God was saying to them. You can cut it down, but there will be a remnant. There will be some people come out of this who will turn to me and see me for who I am and worship me as the holy God because he deserves it. Let me ask you a question. Why a message on worship like this? Because in worship, God is the primary object. He is the only one. We're not here to worship the preacher, worship the, the worship team, worship anybody else around us. We're here to lift our eyes and look to the holy God who is holy in every single but he loves us. He loves us. Let's pray together.
if you had to bow and perhaps you'll come to the side. I want to tell you this morning how much God loves you. I want you to know how much He is for you. He is not a God who loves judgment. He is not a a God who loves to do anything to His people. But you understand, judgment among His people and on His people is not punishment. It is to say, hey, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten who I am. And I want you to return to me because I love you so much. You see, God will go to great extent to move us back toward him. Do you feel far away this morning? Do you have any space in your mind today at all? Does you have any time with you at all? You go, but Tom, I'm a Christian. I understand that. We can be Christians and still be far away. Israel was his people, his chosen people. But they had drifted far away. And I will tell you the good news. You can always come back. You can always come back. So as we pray together this morning, I want to pray for you. If you feel like you've drifted from the Lord, I want you to know how much He loves you. I want you to know how much He is for you. And I want you to know all you have to do is say, God, I'm coming home. Whatever you need from me today, whatever you show me, Lord, I will deal with it. And as I deal with it, Lord, I'm going to feel your love and your peace again. Not that you don't love me already, but I will feel your love. I will feel your presence in my life. So, Father, I want to thank you this morning for the opportunity to lift you up. God, you're a worthy God. There's no one besides you. You are different from us, but you're not distant from us. do something in all of our hearts today. Help us to see you. To experience you today. For all those who need peace today, I pray for peace. For all those who need direction, I pray for direction. Lord, for all those who need that, that place of repentance in their lives, Lord, who, who want to give it up. who are troubled today, Lord, who are facing battles that they fought for a long time, the battles that they just cannot stop fighting. Lord, help them to see you. And help them to see you reaching out and saying, that's my battle. Let me fight that battle for you. Do your work today, God. And I will praise you and thank you. Stand.